Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. I'm your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories and give you a behind-the-scenes look at the life of a technology reporter. We'll learn about the person behind the byline and get their thoughts on the top trending stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hey everyone, this is Christine and welcome to Inside the Media Minds. I am here at the W2 Communications studio with George Jackson, the executive producer of Government Matters. Welcome, George. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, thanks for coming in today. So on today's show, we're going to talk to you about Government Matters. Um, I know it was your idea, so kind of talking about the evolution of it, the start of it, what goes into the program, um, some behind-the-scenes looks, and also some of the uh, biggest topics that you guys are covering right now. So let's go ahead and jump in. Um, I'm also here with Evan Weisel, who uh, has known George for a few years here, so he's going to chime in with a few questions. <laughs> Evan, good to see you. Good to see always. you as well. <laughs> awesome. So, George, how did you get your start in broadcast news? Uh, kind of in a strange way, I suppose. I was uh, working at a Jared, the Galleria of Jewelry, um, Denver, Colorado, uh, somewhat unfulfilled in my current job, and in my personal life started really getting into news, mm -hmm. you know, watching it on TV, listening to it on the radio, reading it in the newspaper, uh, and thought, as an English major, uh, I'm interested in this, I think I could do it. Put out some applications, uh, went to the University of Maryland, and I just fell in love. I fell in love with the Washington media landscape, I fell in love with the profession itself. That's awesome. So how did you start Government Matters? So I spent the first five years of my career as a on-camera reporter in East Tennessee. Oh, okay. Uh, my then-girlfriend and now-wife convinced me to move back up to the big city. Uh, I really liked East Tennessee, just great mm -hmm. pace of life. Sometimes it reminds me a bit of the federal media marketplace, good pace of life. <laughs> um, I first worked as a producer here on a TV show called Capital Insider, which was mm -hmm. largely about Capitol Hill's influence here in D.C., around the world. We covered a lot of politics, a lot of national security, um, and I kind of tripped across this federal IT marketplace as a mm -hmm. coverage area. Uh, Nick Wakeman, who's been a previous mm -hmm. guest of yours, yeah. did a wonderful job, uh, was a regular guest on the show, and a couple other folks from the 1105 Media Group and after hosting them on a recurring basis, I thought that this federal IT stuff was pretty critically important. Mm -hmm. uh, it was 2013, it was around the time of the healthcare.gov rollout, uh, which did not go exceedingly well and impacted a ton of people. And I started to think this federal IT stuff is really mainstream or poised to go mainstream. Things like customer service, citizen services, the way that federal IT impacts people. It's very important. And there wasn't a TV show that existed uh, around this space. Right. So mm -hmm. I kind of came up with a concept for a show. Uh, a man named Steve Vito, who you may know, uh, former president of GovExec, been around the space for a long time, uh, was moving at a similar trajectory. We were introduced by two sales folks at the TV station 
and uh, kind of came up with the concept for this show. Mm -hmm. uh, shot a pilot episode. It was 10 minutes. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't put it out there <laughs> now, today. Uh, but the sales it folks, it did work. It must have. <laughs> they took it out to the community, uh, attached a fair amount of advertising to it, mm -hmm. and the station management at the time looked at me and they said, we have no idea what this show is about, uh, but go ahead and do whatever you want. Uh, and that's how Gov Matters was born. It started as a once-a-week program, plunked mm -hmm. on Sunday mornings, and about two years ago we relaunched and moved to six days a week. That's a big difference from one day, one day to six days a week. <laughs> it was. Uh, at the exact same time my daughters were being born, it was right. just a maelstrom, a complete yeah. storm all at the same time. That's how it happens. It does. And you're on a number of stations though, right? In terms of News Channel 8, uh, ABC uh, Channel 7. Yeah, the reach then... has grown a fair amount since launch. Uh, Initially, we were uh, just on ABC7 and News Channel 8. Uh, we've since grown to include the American Forces Network, which is the Pentagon station that they send out to ships at sea, consulates, military bases oh, abroad. Wow. So technically, it's a worldwide program. Uh, that DOD audience is pretty sizable. It's about a million people. Uh, that includes people who work for the Pentagon, enlisted folks, uh, their families. Mm -hmm. So. Good DOD uh, viewership for us. Okay. So, what type of guests do you have on the show typically? Uh, it's a real mix. Um, I'm going to kind of invert that question if I could and talk a little bit about our audience. Yeah, and then definitely. Maybe it'll make a little bit more sense who our guests are. Sure. So, we want to reach folks in government who are maybe GS 10 and above, senior executive mm -hmm. service as well. Uh, and C-suite folks in the contracting community. These are people who are decision makers in and around government. These are people who have purchasing power. And when we came up with the concept for the show, we thought about it from an editorial perspective. These are the people who can kind of advance the ball, mm -hmm. who can make federal IT work better. These are also people who advertisers find to be the ideal person watching a show of this kind. So it sort of is a self-perpetuating audience. Um, Government Matters, I would describe as progressive, but not in the political sense of the word. It's progressive in that a topic like advancing information technology is a real unifier right now. Rooting out fraud, waste, and abuse is not incredibly controversial. Uh, and the folks who come on our show, people in industry, people in government, uh, largely are all committed to doing that. So we'll host folks who are experts in technology, experts mm -hmm. in security, which could apply to national or cyber security. Uh, acquisition, which is incredibly important and cuts through pretty much everything that we cover. Uh, workforce, which includes HR and back office functions, but uh, pay and benefits as well, which federal workers and people in the contracting community are very interested in. Uh, defense is a key audience for us. And then, of course, industry. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can cover this space uh, in an all-encompassing way which, without including uh, that particular perspective. Okay. Cool. So I think one of the things that's unique about you all as well, we were talking about before we got on air, is that you do bring in reporters from other media outlets to be guests on your program. 
I think that's unique in the sense that, you know, one of the questions I could ask is how are you different from the other media organizations that cover the marketplace, right? But I think that's pretty obvious because you're broadcasting the format and so forth. But um, why do you bring people in from other media outlets to yeah. the program? Because I think that's an interesting, unique I perspective, yeah, I guess. Question. I've had folks describe us as the Switzerland of oh, the okay. federal media marketplace, which I really like. I like that too. I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say from the editorial side, uh, it just enhances the quality of our coverage. Uh, initially, it was a survival thing, I would say. Uh, it's difficult to add a sort of oversight capacity to a program uh, without including reporters who are objective, uh, can provide really factual-based analysis on stuff. And when we launched, it was just me and my host, right. Morris Jones. Um, a two-person team like that, it's you sort of have a limited runway as far as how deep you can go in, sure. in the sort of journalistic responsibilities of a news program. So, yeah. That's great. So, um, you know, you mentioned that you cover so many different areas from security to tech um, to defense. What are some of the biggest stories that um, you've seen recently pop up? What are some of the current events in the industry? Okay. I did a little research oh, okay. on this. <laughs> Uh, this is not an exhaustive list here, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm keenly interested in the cyber security executive order right okay. now. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of path that takes from uh, kind of a Trump administration rulemaking perspective. And cyber has just been this problem that has plagued government for years and years and years, and there's no formula or strategy for success. Mm -hmm. How are they kind of going to use this executive order to make federal systems more secure? Uh, I think that's a critical mm -hmm. one right now. Um, the intersection between artificial intelligence, big data, analytics, and people, uh, I think is something that I'm going to be following very closely. Okay. Uh, what I mean by that is advances in computer systems are happening at such a rapid clip right now. Mm -hmm. And data has great promise to make the government work a lot better. What kind of impact is that going to have on the workforce itself? Is it going to reduce the number of people mm -hmm. who are working on technical issues in government? Or is it simply going to free those people up to do analysis and let the move this box over here and then mm -hmm. move it back over here, these sort of mundane tasks that kind of go into the job right now, is it just going to eliminate that and let them focus on big things, big mm -hmm. innovative problems? Uh, and finally, I'd say personnel uh, okay. is another big one. Take the Department of Veterans Affairs, for example. Mm -hmm. Without a current secretary, without a current chief information officer, uh, their situation is not entirely unique across government. Uh, and that's a pretty big problem. I mean, how do you take an agency that spends just billions and billions of dollars and lack major mm -hmm. leadership roles right now? Uh, it's tough to get a lot done when that's the case. Mm -hmm. sure. What about IT modernization? I mean, I feel like we talk about cybersecurity, we talk about these legacy systems, we talk about innovation in the government, yet the procurement side of things seems to slow that ability down yeah. Are, are you seeing a lot of issues in 
it seems like I'm seeing that word IT modernization yeah, sir. thrown around a lot right now. Is that an area of focus as well? Most definitely. Uh, tied particularly to the president's management agenda. You know, they had three pillars in that. One was IT modernization. Uh, and they have this policy document that really lays out an approach, I think for the first time, that at least from the guests who have come on the show currently, there hasn't been a whole lot of criticism of that. At this point, it's looking at that document, the PMA, uh, as regards to IT modernization and seeing how they execute. And that's not going to be sort of a short-term thing. It's going to be an ongoing thing. And just for our listeners' sake, um, in case they're not familiar with that term, can you just explain what IT modernization means and, and what you're kind of talking about? Okay. So the government today spends upwards of $80 billion, maybe $90 billion, maybe $100 billion on information technology. Much of that is old. Mm -hmm. uh, systems that are not just years old, in some cases decades old. And uh, kind of getting them to a pace that is comparable to the private sector mm -hmm. uh, is going to involve either throwing out, replacing, or most likely a combination of the two, a lot of those systems, and putting something right. a little bit more mm -hmm. modern in place. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. And um, so a lot must go into producing a show six days a week. Can you talk us through kind of your process as the executive producer, kind of what model you take for that? Okay. I know you, pro you don't probably operate, you know, on a typical schedule. I know you're busy running around, staying afloat. Just talk us through kind of the process. Uh, my team has grown mm -hmm. to a robust eight people now. Nice. Uh, it's a pretty solid group. <laughs> it's me, it's Francis, it's my number two, Colby. Uh, Colby, uh, these days, runs the editorial side of the house. Okay. I serve more in a sort of uh, mentoring capacity. Um, and from start to finish, it probably would be easiest if I did it from the time we get in to the time we leave mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So um, nine o'clock, let's just say ballpark, uh, we get in and just take a look over the show that we had produced the prior day. At 9.45, we move guests into studio. At 10 o'clock, those guests get mic'd. At 10.10, we start wow. to record, and we shoot a 30-minute program, what's called live to tape, which means it's on tape, but to all the guests and everybody else, it's as it was live. Lends a real sort of natural, um, uncanned, unscripted uh, sort of nature to the show. Mm -hmm. We have to shoot it early because uh, at about two o'clock, we have to FTP that program to the American Forces Network so it can go out around the world at 4 p.m., which is actually the first airing right now. So Gov Matters leads into the nightly news broadcast block that they have, so it's us, and then it's I am not going to be correct on the order, but CBS, ABC, okay. NBC Nightly News. Um, between that kind of 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. time span, we're usually writing the next day's show, mm -hmm. and that's a combination of all the people in uh, our editorial team. Myself, Colby Francis, an associate producer named Cherise, who's a Georgetown grad, uh, and then we have a web and social media editor named Andrew, uh, who is repurposing everything for the web, for Twitter, for Facebook, for LinkedIn, etc. cetera. Uh, once the show's written and all polished up, usually we uh, start thinking about booking folks, booking yeah. big guests, and mm -hmm. cooking on sort of future projects. Wow. 
And what's your process for booking guests? Uh, with government, um, book as many as humanly possible. <laughs> Uh, we try and tailor the show, obviously, to what's currently being talked about in the news. Uh, sometimes there are months and months of sort of build-up to that. We had GSA Administrator Emily Murphy uh, in the building today to tape a segment for Sunday's program, and that was a months-long process to get her in. Some folks uh, we call the day before. Uh, we had two folks in from industry today that made first contact with them probably 10 or 11 o'clock the day prior. So oh, it's awesome. a bit of a hodgepodge. Mm -hmm. Some of our schedules built with regular guests. So people who we've identified as good editorial contributors, good TV performers, mm -hmm. um, and voices in the community that kind of command a certain level of authority. Sure. That's yeah. smart. Yeah, it sounds like you're a well-oiled machine. <laughs> Efficiency is my middle name, Kristen. I mean, I yes. can tell when you have all these time frames in your head. I was like, whoa. Speaking of which, how much time do we have left in your agenda here? <laughs> I don't know. Not, I'm not quite as I you know, keep you to the mark time. as you are. You know? um, there is one question that we like to ask all of our guests, and it is, what do you foresee being one of the top headlines in 2018? Okay. Uh, in I any have, area. I have know. a few for you, if okay, that's the perfect. case. Uh, on the Department of Defense side of the coin, they're conducting their first ever audit. Uh, that is going to be critical. It comes out in November. It will reveal all kinds of things about the way uh, the Department of Defense spends its money and could impact uh, the way that the Pentagon operates for years and years to come. They're supposed to do that every year from here on out, and it's a pretty ambitious effort. Um, I have real concerns about the acquisition workforce, too. Okay. Uh, the budget just went up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Acquisition jobs are not easy jobs to do in government and there is some concern out there that government doesn't have those folks in place, enough of them, in order to kind of accomplish the amount of spending that's going to be going on. Okay. Um, I'm also pretty keenly interested in this sort of sea change in mm -hmm. cloud computing. This move to sort of a pay-by-the-drink model for cloud, I think we're at a sort of tipping point where either you're on board or you're not, and maybe if you're not, you're gonna get uh, kind of left behind. We'll see if that comes to fruition, but I see some sort of similarities between the way cloud computing is looking and the way the industry looks with regards to kind of big systems like ships. You know, there's only a few major shipbuilders that cater to the Department of Defense. Are we gonna see something similar in the cloud computing space where there's only a few folks uh, big names uh, that kind of can pull off what the government wants to do. Okay. Well, we'll have to uh, watch for those stories and, and kind of see how that plays out over the next year, <laughs> and we'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> cool. Well, this has been so much fun to have you in the studio today. Thanks for um, spoiling me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. And um, for everyone listening, uh, stay tuned for updates on our next episode, and you can follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show, and um, we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks for having me. See you, Christine.